We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning and for the next several weeks. Luke 10, starting at verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Let's pray. Father, you created us to live. Um, Death wasn't a part of your plan. (laughs) And Jesus, you came and um, went to the cross and rose from the dead in order to restore us back to life, to redeem us, to purchase life for us again through your death. And it's through you that we can really live, as you say in your word. Father, I pray that this morning as we look into your word, that you would stir afresh within each one of us a hunger to live and not not just merely to go through life, not just to exist, but to live to the fullest. And so, Father, I pray that you would open up your word to us through your spirit, This morning, open our eyes to see and our hearts to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start this morning with um, everybody hold. I want everybody to, this is an object lesson, okay? Uh, This is, see, that's your left hand, right? And I want you to, Hold up your left hand. I want you to put your fingers like right here. And this is, this is to see if you're alive, okay? This is, if you, if you can't feel anything, that means you're dead. You should be able to feel a pulse. Can you feel a pulse? Actually, this is your wrist. This isn't your wrist. Sorry. <laughs> So having a pulse is one of your vital signs, right? And there's four vital signs, in case you're wondering if you're alive physically, that will help remind you that you're alive. I know I'm, I'm not, I have nurses and dogs, so that's kind of a little risky. But I, I was a pre-med student 40 years ago, so I'm fairly an authority, um, <laughs> even though I dropped out. So, so of the four vital signs, uh, we'll, we'll leave the nurses out of this, okay? The, um, your pulse rate is one. What are the others? Anybody know? Just shoot it out. Blood pressure. Oh, 
I thought that would sound like a nurse. <laughs> uh, blood pressure, pulse rate, temperature. temperature, very good. And your breathing, right, respiration rate. Okay, so those are our physical vital signs. And if, if you don't have those right now, we, we could call one of the nurses to help you. But what we're going to be doing, talking about this morning and for the next several weeks as we look at Luke chapter 20, is our spiritual vital signs. Um, you know, Jesus, he responds, he says, do this and you will live. Um, in John 10.10, 10, Jesus says that he came that we might have life and have it to the fullest. And I know that you're probably similar to me, that that your life isn't always lived to the fullest. And, and a lot of days, you're, you probably, as you're going through your life, you're thinking, I'm just existing. I'm just going through the motions. And, and so as we go through this, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. Um, and as we do that, I want us to ask, be asking ourselves the question, am I fully alive as God created me and breathed life into me and as Jesus came to restore that life to me? Am I really living life to the fullest? I think a lot of times, even though Jesus came to give us life to the fullest, people looking from the outside on our lives will maybe think... Um, that we're dead. And they'll look at us as Christians who are supposed to be living life as no one else could live life, and they think of us as boring or killjoys or like, are you living life to the fullest? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, 712 times in the Bible, God refers to the heart, um, which is incredible. I compared it. Only 504 times does the word love appear, 506 times. The soul appears 240 times. The word righteous, 267 times. But the heart in the Old Testament and New Testament, 712 times. And this morning, really, what we're gonna, we want to ask, answer two questions. What does that mean? When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, what does that mean? And number two, how can we love the Lord our God with all our heart? Uh, a Greek dictionary describes it this way, the word cardia, and, uh, which we get the word cardiologist from. The word, Greek word cardia is described this way. As the physical organ, the heart, was recognized as the center of the circulatory system and thus by extension regarded as the center of physical life, so the heart, the immaterial heart that we talk about, came to denote the center of all spiritual life. And when we look at this word that appears over 700 times in the Bible, we see that it basically covers everything from, it can be translated as emotions, intellect, understanding, soul, mind, 
uh, and almost any other aspect of our immaterial beings. But, you know, when we narrow it down and we look at the essence, with the heart of what this heart refers to, it's so similar to how in, in our lives, contemporary lives, we refer to our hearts. I want you to know, I've been, I, I stayed up all night, not really. Do you guys know what that means? Yeah. See, isn't that cool how I learned that? Yeah. I mean, we help, you know, we used to say, I love you. But now a lot of people, they say I and they, the little heart, right? Because the heart, it's, it's what it refers to in our lives. How many of you have ever given a valentine to somebody and what you meant by giving that valentine to them or giving them a little card that had a heart on it meant that what you really wanted to do was to have a, a serious dialogue with them you know, regarding the different theories of the origin of the universe. That's not what the heart refers to. The heart refers to emotions and affections and passion and desire. I think one of the ways that our physical heart and our uh, this thing we call the heart, uh, how they connect in such a powerful way is I thought about it when I uh, first met my wife, Cindy, and, and, and honestly, it can, it can happen again when I see her. You know, I'm, in a, uh, I'm not a social person, so I'm, I'm in a crowd, and, and, and I see my wife off from a distance, and, and what begins to happen within me is what? It's this, this physical heart <laughs> starts to pound, right? And why is that? It's because... It's because this immaterial thing called the heart is so full of affection and, and passion for this, this woman who's become my wife. Um, the heart, as we're going to talk about it this morning, love the Lord your God with all your heart means that we're to be people that love God with all of our passions and all of our affections and our desires and our emotions. Um, let me let me just want to go through some verses quickly and you can just listen that show how the, this is so central to the Bible's thinking about the heart. As we ponder loving the Lord our God with all our heart, are we people that love God in this way. De- Deuteronomy 5.29 says, this is God speaking, he says, oh, that they had such a heart to fear me and to keep all my commandments. And I think what God is saying is, oh, that they had a passion to pursue me. Deuteronomy 10.15, it says, the Lord set his heart on your forefathers and chose their offspring after them. It's like it's saying the Lord fixed his affection on your forefathers to choose them. It wasn't because they were numerous. It wasn't because they were powerful. It wasn't because they were wealthy. It's just because he set his affection on them and chose them. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
And I think what it's saying is the Lord looks for individuals who desire what he desires, whose desires are his desires, whose affections are his affections. The contrast to that is in 1 Kings 11.3 where it says Solomon had a 700 wives, 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart from the Lord. Solomon's wives, this Solomon who at one point, he, he just asked God, God, give me a listening heart. <laughs> That's how he began. God, I just want a heart that hears you has now become a man whose heart, whose affections and desires are turned away from that God because of these women that he married. Ezra 7.10, this is one that really impacted me. It says, for Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord. And it reminded me back when I was a pre-med student in university many years ago. And after... In the middle of my third year, I took a Greek class for fun because I love languages. But as I began to study this Greek in this class, it changed my heart. <laughs> and and it, for me, it was like, I don't want to do this as a hobby. I want to do this with my life. And so I changed my major so that I could set my heart to study the law of the Lord. It, doesn't need to be your major to do that. <laughs> um, Ezra was a man whose passion was for the word of God. Is, is that your passion? Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Desiring God gives us God's desires. Do you want God's desires? Desire God. Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in God at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. That's the God we have. He's a God that isn't looking for us to have this rational, reasonable, mental, informational only relationship with him. He wants all those things, but he wants us to be a people who, who love him and pour out our emotions and affections and desires before him. Psalm 62, 10 says, If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Don't set your affections on wealth, nor your desire on riches. Psalm 139, 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. God knows our hearts, but do we want him to know our hearts? Search me, O God, know my heart. I want you to know everything about me, the deepest desires and passions and affections that drive me. Proverbs 4.23, I think, captures it where it says, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. I, I think that's maybe the key verse in the Bible about the heart. Guard your heart with all diligence, because from it flow the springs of life. And I think what it's saying, it says the passions and affections and desires that drive us are what, in effect, direct our lives. Get that? The passions and desires that drive us are, in effect, what direct our lives. So to love the Lord our God with all our heart, I think it means to love him with all of our affections and passions and desires and emotions. It means that loving God isn't 
just an informational thing. It's not just reading your Bible. There's got to be passion. There's got to be affection. There's got to be desire. God has to grab our emotions and our affections and our desires. To put it practically, I think to compare it to to the relationships that we have with people that we love. If we're in the presence of God, we should at times get butterflies, right? And if we're distant from God because of sin that's crept into our lives, we should be heartbroken about that. It means that God will excite us and that we'll miss being with him and that we'll long to want to be back in his presence. As David says in Psalm 42, 1 and 2, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so I pant for you, O God. My whole being thirsts for God, for the living God. Is that us? Or has our relationship with God become reduced to this, some kind of rational, reasonable, reasonable, informational kind of relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. I think most of us at this point might say, boy, I'd, I want to love God that way, with all my heart, with my affections and passions and emotions. But God knows my heart, and, and God knows... <laughs> His evaluation of me would probably be like the Israelites where God said, oh, that they had such a heart. Um, but we don't. So often our hearts are fickle and unfaithful and, uh, and cold and distance. So what I'd like us to do just this morning a little bit is to ask ourselves, how can we afresh love the Lord our God with all our heart so that we might really live. And so just a few thoughts from from Scripture and some of the verses that are in Scripture about the heart. The first, if you turn with me to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. We're just going to work through a few Scriptures together. How can we love the Lord our God with all our heart? How can the affection and passion and desire for God be renewed. Number one, Matthew 15, verse 8. As Jesus looks at his people, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. Their worship is farce. They replace God's commands with their own man-made teachings. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away. The first thing how we can love the Lord our God is to not settle for a heart without passion. <laughs> to put it, desire a passionate heart. I, I don't know where, where your heart is at this morning, but don't settle for existing. Number one, don't settle for a passionless Christianity. Uh, to be people like where God would say, they, they honor me with their lips, they show up and they sing, and they know the right words, but their affections, their desires, their passion is far away from me. You know, and in the midst of being, Cindy and I being married for 35 years, I mean, this has happened. 
I mean, to where we've at times we've regrouped and we've said, this is becoming a business relationship. This is becoming something where we, we live together and we support each other and we, we go through life together, but, but the romance, the passion, the affection has been, in, in the midst of our busyness, has been fleeting away. And so we recommit that what this is about is this passionate romance, this love relationship with one another. And we don't want to settle for anything less in our marriage relationship. And, and I don't want to settle for anything less in my relationship with God. Don't settle for a passionless Christianity. Number two, flip back a couple of chapters, Matthew 13, verse 44. Matthew 13, 44, in the midst of several parables, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement over finding this treasure, he hid it again. He sold everything he owned in order to get enough money to buy the field and to get the treasure too. Jesus is this treasure. That's what this parable is about. The kingdom of heaven is about Jesus being the most incredible treasure that we could ever find. Is Jesus your treasure? Make Jesus your treasure. Has something or someone, has anything crept in into your heart and taken the place of Jesus as your treasure? Number one, don't settle for a passionless Christian. Don't, don't settle for just going through the motions. Make Jesus your treasure. Then you turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Verses 12 and 13. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Warn each other every day as long as it is called today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. And it's a plea that the writer is making. As long as it's called today, warn each other, encourage each other, exhort each other not to be deceived by the, the little things that can come in, that can creep in and push Jesus out as the treasure of your heart. And, and, and we know those things, don't we? The things that we've allowed, the, the, the relationships, or the things, maybe it's money, maybe it's possessions, maybe it's a relationship that has come in and it's pushed Jesus out as the treasure of your heart. And as a result, it's an, he says, make sure that your hearts aren't evil and unbelieving and become distant and hard. Encourage one another to have tender hearts. Tender hearts. 1 Peter 3.8, if you want to flip just to the next book. It's a great ex- exhortation. First Peter 3.8, Peter says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind, full of sympathy toward each other, loving one another with tender hearts. Do you have a tender heart this morning? Or have things crept in and made your heart cold or distant or hard? Encourage one another daily uh, 
to have tender hearts. And then in Matthew 5, 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Do you wonder why, why God seems distant? Is it because sin has crept in and you don't have a pure heart? In 1 Peter 1, 22, same book that we just looked at, 1 Peter 1, 22, it says, through Christ you have come to trust in God and because God raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory, your faith and hope can be placed confidently in God. Now you can have sincere love for each other as brothers and sisters because you were cleansed from your sins when you accepted the truth of the good news. So see to it that you really do love each other intensely with all your hearts. And literally, it's the same word there as Matthew 5 8, with pure hearts. Love each other intensely with pure hearts. Don't settle for a passionless Christianity. Make Jesus the treasure of your heart. Encourage one another daily to have tender hearts. Don't let your hearts grow cold and ask God for a pure heart. Kind of the meaning of a pure heart, a clean heart, it really means a singleness of heart, a heart that is single wholeheartedly in pursuit of Jesus. But, you know, we come to these, and I think the natural thing would, you know, it could be discouraging, like, God, how do I have that heart? Because you know my heart and how easily my heart wanders. Um, two, two cool passages to kind of end with in Ephesians and Colossians, I think, capture for us the greatest need. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, you know, I'm just giving you just kind of a snippet of verses. There's 712. I, I'd encourage you just to spend some time in, in asking God, God, change my heart. God, cleanse my heart. God, give me a heart that pants after you. Um, just great verses. Matthew, Ephesians 5.18. Listen to what it says. Ephesians 5.18. It says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Don't let alcohol control you, dominate you. It will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. Let the Spirit of God fill you and control you. And notice verse 19. Then you will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. How do we want our hearts to, to be hearts full of music and melody and, and affection and passion and desire again to the Lord? It says, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. In, you know, in the book of Luke, Jesus told his disciples, his followers, he said, ask your heavenly Father for the Holy Spirit and he'll give him to you. He said, your, your, your earthly fathers, you know, if your son asks you or your daughter asks you for a piece of bread, you're not going to give them a snake. If you're, they're going to ask for a, a, a steak, you're not going to give them a scorpion. How much more does your heavenly father long to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask him, Holy Spirit, you know how wandering and distant and cold my heart is. Fill afresh my heart with yourself. 
And then if you flip to Colossians, it's almost the exact same paragraph or couple of verses, but it looks at it from a, a slightly different angle. Colossians 3.16. It says, let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts. Let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts and make you wise, using his words to teach and counsel others, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. You see how they work together? How can we people that love God with all of our hearts, with all of our affections and passions and desires, when we have hearts that so tend to wander, are so easily distracted and grow cold and distant, it's number one, it's saying, Holy Spirit, I need you. I can't, I can't do this on my own. I have such a wandering heart. Holy Spirit, fill me, control me, take over my heart. Give me your desires. And then to be people that this word richly dwell. We spend time in this book, like Ezra, who set his heart to study the law of the Lord, that we'd be individuals who, I mean, honestly, if you're spending time reading other things and looking at other things and conversing about all kinds of things and you're not spending time in this book, in this love letter from God to us, you're not going to get his desires. Letting this word richly dwell within us. You know, I should have seen the warning signs years ago. Actually, I did, but um, the doctor that I went to concluded that my chest pains were indigestion. And so he sent me home. So I carried on for years, actually. It was about 10 years. I carried on, as usual, running, bike riding, and when I did, I always experienced acute chest pains uh, that were, for the first five or ten minutes, were intense. And but I keep, I knew it was just my indigestion, so I'd keep running, keep bike riding, and after about ten minutes, the pains would subside, and I'd complete my exercise. Until one morning, Cindy and I were riding bicycles uh, along Tracy and Boulevard, along the water. And um, and the pain just got worse and worse and worse. It didn't subside uh, until finally we had to pull off along the side of the road and the pain extended down in my arm. I got nauseous. I was just feeling horrible. Uh, thankfully, some other people on bicycles um, came riding the other direction and um, asked Cindy if... Um, She'd like to use the cell phone. She did. She called 911, and an ambulance took me to the hospital. Um, um, the next day in the hospital, um, well, blood work showed that I had had trauma to my heart. Uh, the next day, I had an angiogram, and the it, it was actually very fascinating being able to be awake and watch this as they're sending this little thing through your heart. And uh, so I, uh, as I was watching, they discovered that the artery that is called the Widowmaker was 85% clogged. And uh, it's good I stopped 
riding my bike. Um, the doctor told me that if they would have done a treadmill, which was the first thing recommended when I went into the hospital, I would have died on the treadmill, probably. The, um, so they put a stint in my heart, sent me home the next day. Um, you know, it worked. Um, I came home from the hospital uh, pretty sober about how I needed to take care of my heart. I um, cut down on my fat intake. That's my favorite part of the meat, to be honest. Uh, cut down on my fat intake, worked at changing my diet to you know, build the good cholesterol and eliminate the bad cholesterol, uh, continued to exercise, obeyed my doctor, and uh, future sh tests showed that my cholesterol was great and I had a healthy heart and was doing well. Like I said, it worked for a while. Um, because, you know, little by little, I, as it's been many years now since I had that event on the side of the road, uh, I've gotten a little bit comfortable with not, you know, eating more fat and uh, not being as concerned about my diet. And to be honest, I haven't exercised uh, much lately. It's kind of like our spiritual hearts, isn't it? How easy it is for us to, you know, maybe hear a message about the heart or, or be a part of a, an amazing worship time and, or, uh, or be uh, convicted as we see someone else whose heart has grown cold or has been, been lured away by sin and they become distant from God and, and they've fallen away from him. And, and yet how easy it is for us to grow comfortable and, and less careful, isn't it? Uh, maybe reading our Bibles less, spending less time, becoming less intimate. And little by little, our spiritual hearts, like our physical hearts, can become hard, cold, unhealthy. In, in studying for this message, um, it was good for me, personally. Um, God convicted me about two things. Um, and, you know, like it says in Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, you can feel free to, to encourage me or remind me of what i am been challenged about um, in studying for this message. Number one, I've been challenged and convict, convicted that I have slipped in caring for my physical heart. <laughs> I have. Uh, and I need to take better care of it. Um, uh, maybe some of you, that's what you need to hear this morning. <laughs> Uh, because these bodies are temples of God, right? <laughs> and we're supposed to take care of them. Maybe you need to eat less no, uh, um, fat. <laughs> but I've been convicted and uh, that this isn't just about my spiritual heart that God has challenged me about this morning, but I need to take care of my physical heart. Um, but I've also grown careless in caring for my spiritual heart. Um, you know, it was, it was for years, decades, that I, uh, I would never get up a morning without 
spending time in God's word, kind of like Ezra, having set my heart, my affections on being a person of the book. But I found that, you know, and I, you know, could make all kinds of excuses, that little by little I became less careful and, and careless about the importance of God's word living in me and me soaking in it and, and his passions and desires and affections becoming mine, maybe taking it for granted that I got it all figured out. And so I've been convicted about how I need to spend more time in the Word. I need to be more careful about what captures my heart. The things that I've allowed to seep into my heart and become treasures instead of Jesus becoming my treasure. And how I need to be a man that just wants a fresh to really live and be in close intimacy with Jesus. You know, I think if anything, I, uh, Daniel assigned me this sermon, but in, um, in reality, I think God wanted me to have to study and preach this sermon so I can afresh have a heart <laughs> that loves him, that is passionate and affectionate and desires him more than anything else is my treasure. Um, I guess my question for you is, what does God want you to do about your heart this morning? Um, so, that, so that you and I can love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our affection, all of our desire, all of our passion, so that we can be people who don't just exist, don't just call ourselves Christians, but, but people that really live for him. Let's pray. God, you are uh, you are such a good God. You are so compassionate. God, when we um, when things creep in and we allow things to to capture our affections and and lure us away from you. Father, they could be good things, nice things, but if Father, if they cause our hearts to become distant from you, they're horrible things. God, help us to be a people who, uh, if we need to come to you and confess our sins, knowing that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and draw us back into affection and intimacy with you, God, help us to be those people. Reveal to us how our hearts have become cold or distant or or hard. God, I pray that you would stir up within us through your spirit and as we spend time in your word a fresh affection and intimacy for you that we would truly be a people that love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.